Ciao Dean and can I start by saying uh, what a privilege it is to be able to share this morning with you. You know I can remember growing up and coming on visits to the northeast to see my grandparents and coming along to Ciao Dean. It was always a real joy to be there and to see you all and so it's a real privilege uh, this morning to be able to share with you uh, this morning although be it virtually in these times. Well you might be familiar with the story of the Titanic. You might be more familiar maybe with the, how the story ends to the Titanic. It hits an iceberg, some incredibly emotional music then plays, and then, well, it sinks to the bottom of the ocean. But you know, the great irony of the Titanic is that as it was being built, people across the country were heralding the Titanic as the best boat that had ever been built. Some were even saying about the Titanic that it was unsinkable, it was too powerful, it was so robust, it was using all the modern technologies of the time. And yet upon examining the Titanic and its design, they found that actually, despite it being heralded as unsinkable, it actually had a fatal flaw. And that was at the bottom of the Titanic, uh, it was made up of 15 different compartments and the walls on the outside of those compartments, well, well they were fine, they, they were robust and watertight. But the walls that divided each of the compartments, well they weren't, uh, they weren't robust enough and it turns out that they didn't go high enough above water level and so if water got into one compartment, well, it would get into all 15 compartments. And so the once unsinkable ship, well, when crisis hit, when the iceberg hit, well, it had, it, it had its foundations completely exposed. And do you know, like the people who boarded the Titanic over a hundred years ago, do you know, we often put our confidence and our trust in things around that often seem unsinkable. You know, they become our foundations in life. It's things to use another boat term. They become our anchor that we hope will sustain us and, and hold us in turbulent and tough times in life. And yet, especially in the times that we're living in at the moment, when crisis comes, when the iceberg hits, when pandemic and, and lockdown come, do you know, often our supposed unsinkable and certain foundations in life are exposed and they come crashing down all around us. You know, maybe it might be that we anchor ourselves on on knowledge and understanding on and on knowing things that will see us through. And yet in something like we're going through at the moment, even the best minds of our country have to admit that there's stuff we don't know. And we don't know what ultimately might be the best decision to make. It might be that we anchor ourselves this morning on our resources, on on our money, on, on our investments that we make. And yet at this time, we're gonna go through another really hard uh, time of economic uncertainty. Uh, businesses wondering whether they will survive, jobs, whether they will be kept, and whether once good investments that we made, whether, well, they're still good investments now. It might be that we anchor ourselves on relationships. You know, we build our lives around seeing and spending time with friends and family, being in their company. And yet what happens when all of that's taken away? You know, when we're forced to, to be in isolation, to socially distance from one another, when we can't enjoy fellowship with one another, 
What happens when it's all taken away, the anchor that we thought would hold us? Do you know, these are all things, aren't they, that might look like robust and solid foundations. And yet none of them can be completely certain. In fact, one of the things that has been so stark about this crisis, hasn't it, is it's just highlighted how much we're not in control of our own lives, how much, how fragile our lives are, how the foundations that I often build my life around are actually not as firm as I once thought, just like the Titanic. But you know, this morning I want to introduce us to the book of Habakkuk, because what's incredible about this book is that we're introduced to someone who on the face of things is going through the toughest, the most gruelling and the bleakest of times. And yet this book of Habakkuk, it ends with him singing and rejoicing in the midst of the crisis that he's experiencing. In fact, what Habakkuk is going to show us this morning is that there is a foundation. There is an anchor in life that doesn't crumble in a crisis, that doesn't get exposed, that doesn't weaken even when the heaviest weights are put upon it. But, you know, I appreciate this morning that Habakkuk, well, it isn't one of those books that we often rush uh, to open in our Bibles. And just to set a bit of the context of where we're looking this morning, the book of Habakkuk, you see, whilst the book ends with Habakkuk, the character, singing, rejoicing, that's not actually how the book starts. At the start, we're introduced to Habakkuk and he's actually crying out to God. He's asking the big questions of God. In chapter one, verse two, Habakkuk says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. At the start of Habakkuk, he's looking around him. And it's at a time where God's people had wandered so far away from the Lord, from trusting him and worshipping him. In fact, at this time, people were worshipping other gods from other nations around them. And Habakkuk, he's looking around him and he sees his town and people committing such violent acts towards one another. He sees injustice everywhere he looks and, he, and he's looking around and he's asking God the big questions. Where are you? What are you going to do, God? Don't you see what's happening? How long must this go on for? What are you going to do about it? And well, God graciously answers Habakkuk's prayer and he tells him that he is going to do something. In fact, he's going to send the nation of Babylon, the Babylonians, to come and actually take God's people into exile, in judgment. He's going to take them out of the land and take them away. Um, God is going to act. God is going to deal with what Habakkuk is crying out about. And then Habakkuk hears what God is going to do. And then he cries out again in the book. And we see that he says, well, Lord, why are you going to do that? How could you use the Babylonians? He's kind of saying, you know, don't you know how destructive and how how wicked they are? How could you, God, use them? He's crying out again. And yet in the book of Habakkuk, God again answers Habakkuk. And he says that, well, he doesn't not see what the Babylonians are doing and, and they won't be allowed to continue forever. And God will deal with them one day. But actually, God, in that re response to Habakkuk, he tells Habakkuk how he's to live. 
God tells him how he's to live in the present. In fact, that's in chapter two, verse four, where God says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or you could say the righteous person will live by his faith. In other words, God calls Habakkuk, despite everything that he sees, to trust in God's promises, to trust in his word and to let that be his foundation as he goes through life. To trust that God knows, to trust that God sees, he cares and he will act in the future. And so what the last chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter three, which is where we're looking this morning, what this chapter is, is really showing us what it looks like to be someone who lives by faith. As Habakkuk is called to live, you see, Habakkuk in this book is wonderful. He goes on a journey from why to worship, from asking the big questions to ending up praising God in the midst of his circumstances. And, you know, he's not praising God, as we see, because suddenly God has sorted everything out for him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In chapter three, verse 17, at the start of our passage, Habakkuk describes what he's going through. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. I mean, this is a desperate situation Habakkuk is facing and he describes here. I mean, some of us might not be too bothered if there weren't any olives uh, for us to eat. That wouldn't bother us in the slightest. Maybe we'd quite enjoy that. But it's going way further than there just not being any olives to eat. Habakkuk, he's saying that there's no food anywhere. There's no cattle to eat, no sheep in the pens. And if you're in those times, like those people were, if you're heavily dependent upon farming and agriculture, well, this is as big a crisis as you can imagine, a crisis like we're experiencing at the moment. And this morning, well, we're going to see how Habakkuk responds to the circumstances that he's facing. And I've just got one simple point for us this morning, and that is though X, though X, X standing for whatever we're facing, whatever our present circumstances, though X, yet I, though X, yet I, because this really is the big turning point in our passage. It's the big turning point in the whole book of Habakkuk, because Habakkuk, he stops telling us what's going on around him. He stops describing his present circumstances. He stops describing the different sufferings that he is going through. And he starts to say, yet I. And those two words change everything. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying, in spite of everything going on around, in spite of the circumstances that I face, I'm going to respond in a different way. I'm going to respond in a way that, that people wouldn't expect me to respond. He says in verse 18, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. And when you read those words, aren't they amazing? Aren't they incredible considering everything that Habakkuk is going through? I just want to say at this point that, well, please don't think that this is telling Christians to have some weird response to tough times or to going through tough times. 
Uh, this isn't saying that Christians have to be those who are always rejoicing and singing like everything is great when actually it's not. Uh, that almost we, we sort of don't, we, we pretend that everything's okay uh, when it's not. No, Habakkuk himself, doesn't he? In his book, he shows us in his book that there are times where we're crying out to God. We're crying out why God. We're crying out where God. In the Psalms, in the Bible, so many of them, aren't they? They're they're describing the grief and the sorrow and the pain that people are going through as people cry out to God in the midst of their circumstances and showing how there's a right response to suffering. But, you know, what this part of Habakkuk is giving us is it's giving us a perspective. It's giving us a foundation and a hope to carry us through the tough times, these times of suffering. You see, in Habakkuk's response, he shows us that actually his present circumstances don't dictate. They don't change the certainty of God's promises to him. They don't change the certainty of God's word to him, whilst everything in his world at that moment must have been screaming out that God wasn't there, that God wasn't working, that God wasn't going to fulfill his promises. Habakkuk doesn't let that dictate or change his confidence in the Lord is God. And he's rejoicing in the Lord, isn't he? That's why he's rejoicing. I will rejoice in the Lord God, my saviour. It doesn't change that reality one bit. And, you know, everything this morning for us, you know, might be looking the same. It might look like everything's pointing one way. It's pointing away from the truth that God is working. It's pointing away from the fact that God is fulfilling his promises. But, you know, let Habakkuk be a real encouragement to us this morning, that whilst our present circumstances, our present experience might look one way, actually, that's not the reality. And God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his word. And he wants that to be our foundation in our lives. You know, it might look this morning that, you know, we're facing uncertainty about our future. We don't know what life, what work will maybe look like in the future after all of this passes. But though we face uncertainty, yet I can rejoice in the Lord. Because I know his promises to me. I know that he says that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. He's begun that good work in us and he will be faithful to his promise that his work that he started through me and in me, he will complete. It might look at this this morning that the church is uh, dispersed and isolated. It looks though that the church is weak well actually it looks like the church is weak from reaching out to the community from those around us Uh, but though it looks like the church is weak yet i will rejoice because i know the promises of god and that he uh, that nothing can stop his church from growing you know one secular newspaper was reporting uh, earlier on that apparently one in three 18 to 30 year olds have tuned into a Sunday service at some point during this lockdown God is faithful to his promises and nothing can change that nothing can stop that though yet I and you know it might look 
Uh, it might seem this morning that, that life seems so fragile at the moment. You know, we're so vulnerable in so many ways. That's what's been highlighted uh, every day. And yet, even in that, I can rejoice in the Lord because I know the promises of God. That's my foundation. And Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. That's my foundation, though X, yet I. You know, there's a, an account of a man called John Chrysostom, who was a church leader in the fourth century in a city called Constantinople, which we would know as modern day Istanbul in Turkey. And John, he was leading a church there. He was talking to people about Jesus and he was actually arrested at that time and he was brought before the Empress Eudoxia. And the Empress Eudoxia had John stand before him, uh, her, <laughs> and she said that John would be banished uh, if he kept on doing what he, he was doing. And John, in, in response to that threat from the Empress Eudoxia, he said this. He said, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. And then the Empress said to John, she said, well, then I'll kill you. And then John replied, he said, no, you cannot. My life is hid with Christ in God. And then the Empress said to John, she said, well, I'll take away all your treasures. And John went, no, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. And then the Empress said to John, but I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. And John said, no, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. John said, I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. Do you know, this is the kind of foundation that we have, a foundation that whatever it is that we're faced with, that whatever we're going through, we can say, yet I will rejoice because it because it might look like it's going one way. Everything might look like it's pointing one way, but actually God provides us this morning with a foundation that can never crumble, a foundation that is never going to fail. And Habakkuk says that at the end, he says, he makes my feet as sure-footed as the deer. It's a picture there of, of the foundation that God gives us. It can never crumble. And so this morning, you know, I was thinking, isn't this what we're desperately looking for in life, especially during these times that we're living in, to have a foundation like this that is so secure that in actual fact can be called truly unsinkable. And do you know this morning, if we want to know this foundation, if we want to have this foundation, well, then we have to know Jesus. He's ultimately the one who offers and gives us this hope, this foundation, that whatever our though is, we are able to say, yet I will rejoice, yet I will rejoice in God, my saviour. Whoever we are this morning, uh, whether church is something that we're familiar with or, or something maybe we're new to, uh, do you know, Jesus offers us each this morning this unshakable, this unsinkable hope for us to hold on to, a hope that is based in knowing him, 
a hope that's based in his death and his resurrection. And, you know, this Jesus, he invites us to know him. He invites us to trust him. He invites us to enjoy him ultimately forever, ultimately forever. You know, Romans chapter eight, verse 31 says these words, says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's what Jesus offers us, a glory that cannot compare with anything here in this world. And so this morning, do you know, we might be finding that our present circumstances are maybe exposing the things that we've put our trust in. We're finding out that they're not the the firm foundations we once thought they were. They're not unsinkable. And yet, do you know, Habakkuk this morning, it says to us, find the unshakable, the unsinkable hope that is found ultimately in knowing Jesus, that's found in building our lives on the promises of God, on the words of God, that whilst everything looks like it's pointing one way, actually it doesn't mean that God isn't working. It doesn't mean that God isn't there. And it doesn't mean that God isn't going to bring about his promises, but rather God is faithful and we wait in faith. And faith is being confident, fully persuaded, building our lives on the certain and the unshakable foundation of God's promises to us. And therefore, though the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, though there are no cattle in the stalls, this morning, because we know Jesus, we can say, yet I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be joyful in God, my Saviour.